I, I thought it was so funny that um, where we've been going through this story called The Story, which is the, the whole Bible. We've condensed it a little bit. We're actually this week condensing Numbers and Deuteronomy into about 10 pages, which blows my mind that somebody could do that. But I thought that of all the weeks that Jason asked me to preach, um, the week that he gave the new associate minister in charge of youth is the passage of the Bible most associated with complaining. I don't want to, also as your new employee, I don't want to read into that too much, but maybe I have some experience there. I worked as a teacher before that, so maybe I know a little bit about complaining. But that's not what they named this chapter. They named this chapter, as you can see behind me, this chapter of the story is called Wondering. And so we're going through this whole story, and last week we talked about the Israelites getting the Ten Commandments. They were slaves in Egypt, then they escaped by the hand of God. Then at, at last week we talked about they were camping underneath Mount Sinai, which is the mountain behind me, and they camped there for a year. So when we think about what the Israelites did, we usually think about them wondering. They sat here, right where we're looking, at the this, this screen behind me, they sat here for over a year before they ever started doing their wondering. And something really crazy happened while they were, while they were living there. God gave them plans for a tent called the tabernacle, and God's presence, visible, was floating over this tent nonstop. And, and this, is, this is really crazy. The, the word that they use in the Bible is um, kavod, K-A-V or K-A-B-O-D. And the word, we don't really have a word for it, it's something like the heaviness of God or the seriousness of God or the importance of God. The word that they use in English is the glory of God was over this, this, whole, this whole tent. And so when the smoke comes out there, when they're all camping, when they're, in, when they're around the tabernacle, the smoke is so thick, you have to leave. This is absolutely crazy. If we all prayed right now, or if we sang the song, open the eyes of my heart, God, I want to see you, and then smoke just came out here that was so thick we had to leave, we probably pulled a fire alarm on, on our way out. I don't think that any of us, when we pray, God, God, give me proof, I want to see you, I don't think that any of us expect smoke so thick that you have to leave a building. But that's God's glory. The Jewish Encyclopedia comments, it says that the smoke is, the God, is God viewed in spatio-temporal terms as a presence, a revelation of the holy in the midst of the profane. And this smoke should be understood figuratively. So God is not smoke. This is a figurative representation of what God is like. But this is a, the revealing of God in the middle of of something that is not God. So this is the creator inside his creation. This is the closest that, most, that, that really anybody except for a prophet gets to see of God. We've never seen God's glory, but they got to see it every day. Um, they estimate that there were three million Israelites camping out at this time, and they all got to see God's glory every single day. So where chapter 6 starts out, out this week, if you haven't read it yet, you can read it before small group today, where it starts out, that's what I do, is um, God is going to tell Moses, it's time to go. My cloud, we're going to leave, follow us. So here is Numbers chapter 10. So they set out from Mount Sinai and traveled for three days. That's really important, remember, three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day, when they set out from the camp. No one before that 
or after that has ever experienced God in this way. I'm going to go ahead and bet that none of you guys, none of us, we will ever see a cloud of God going over us as we travel. But then when it turns nighttime, it turns into fire. It's even crazier. And after three days, we all know what happens. They start to complain. They're experiencing firsthand how amazing God is. And three days later, they complain so bad that God says, I'm going to shoot fire all around, just so they realize, oh yeah, God is really, really powerful. But they just keep on complaining. And what do they complain about? They complain that they left Mount Sinai, and the cloud took them to a brand new desert. They're not very happy about that. Now, this kind of short-sightedness reminded me of probably my second favorite episode of The Office. And I'm going to show that clip right now. And in The Office, what happens is, uh, don't, not yet, not yet, not yet. Okay. Um, they just find out that their new employee used to be in jail. And so they, they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, we don't want to ask him. And so what they're going to do is that guy right in the middle, they're going to ask him, hey, what was it like when you were in jail? Tell us a little bit about it. And their response is exactly how the Israelites responded. Hit it. Um, you know, I want to know what I was in for? No, that's not cool. You don't have to tell them. Oh, I really don't mind. It was a stupid mistake. Yeah. I was working in finance, and I got involved in some insider trading. So I spent a little time in the clink. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I had Martin explain to me three times what he got arrested for because it sounds an awful lot like what I do here every day. <laughs> what was prison like? Not terrible. Boring. We do the same thing every day. But at least we get outdoors time. You got outdoors time? Two hours every day. Sometimes we play pickup football games. Michael, why don't we get outdoors time? Yeah, some days I never go outside. Well, we are running a business. What was your cell like? Not good. It's a little bit bigger than Michael's office. But, you know, I really only slept there. You know, during the day, there are, our time is our own. They had uh, classes. I took some watercolor classes. They have art classes? Yeah. They business They did, taught by some uh, Harvard Business School guys that a lot of the guys also that were in the class, the inmates, a lot of them have gone on to do extraordinary things in Thanks. business. Kind of sounds like prison's better than Dunder Mifflin. Wow. <laughs> That's not true. I would so rather be in prison. Yeah. Prison sounds great. No, you would not. This place is not prison. This pl it's way better than prison. <laughs> I would so much rather be in prison. <laughs> so they're complaining, and they're th th this is kind of a typical grass is always greener type thing. They think, oh, well, work is just as bad as prison. But what I want to argue today is that this whole chapter 6 about wondering, it's not actually about complaining. It's about control. It's about trust. Look at what God's done for them so far. I made a list. Before this moment where they start complaining about God leading them while in the desert, they have witnessed 10 plagues that helped them escape. God split the Red Sea. They saw Moses meet one-on-one -on -one with God. They saw fire from heaven as a warning. And every day, they saw the physical presence of God. Despite all of these, they continue to think 
that God is not on their side. Now, some of us here, we have struggled with the idea that does God exist or does God not exist? And that's a very common doubt. What the Israelites are, are struggling with is not does God exist. They see that God exists. They are struggling with is God on our side? If I trust God, am I going to live or am I going to die? So all of the struggles they have today, that's what it's with. Look at some of the things that God does for them. God is going to provide them with food, and in Numbers chapter 11, here's what happens. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. That's the food from God. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. I would so much rather be in prison. <laughs> God takes them from the desert and leads them to the land that he says, I will give you. Here's what happens after that he takes them to that land. They send spies, Numbers chapter 13. The spies come back and they say, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were of great size. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. But Moses says, no, God is going to help us take it over, just like he's helped us a bunch of times before. Look at what they do next. This is the craziest thing I think they do in this whole chapter. Numbers chapter 14. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So God provides them with a leader. He meets one-on-one -on -one with the leader, and the, and the Israelites say, well, let's choose a new leader to take us back to slavery. So they are saying, I would rather be a slave than trust that God's going to help me out. I would rather be whipped by someone who, who owns me rather than trust that God is going to deliver me. Now, last week in our small group, I said something that, that I think is kind of true. Well, of course I think it's true. That's why I said it. <laughs> I said, if you took one verse out of a lot of the Old Testament, God seems really mean. And in this chapter this week, if you just took one paragraph, cut it out, threw it out, and you read that one, that one verse, that one chapter, that one paragraph, God could come off as a really mean guy. But when we look at it like that, we're looking at what we're calling while we're looking at the story. We're looking at the lower story. The lower story is what we see, is what we experience. But in understanding the whole Bible and understanding the kingdom of God, we're looking at the upper story, God's story. And what God is trying to do in these chapters is God is trying to create a nation whose identifying factor is that they trust that he will take care of them. And these guys just want to do everything but let God take over. They don't want God to win the battles for them. They don't want God to give them a leader. They want to elect their leader. They want to win the battles for themselves. And that's not what it looks like 
to live in the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is made up of people who let God take control. Now, we all look different, we all act different, we all speak different, but if you are in the kingdom of God, that's what you do. You let God take control. So this chapter is not about complaining. It's not about wondering. It's about who is in charge. It's about who's in control. They complained about safety, protection, wars. They complained about water, meat. They were never really concerned with their needs. They wanted control. They wanted to choose their own food. They wanted to choose their own gods. They wanted to win battles without God doing anything for them, which, which makes no sense to me. They wanted to go their own direction into their own town, and when they took over their own town, sleep with the women there that weren't their wives, and then sacrifice to those women's gods. And you know what? If you want to do that, that's okay. It really is. But that's not what you do if you're living in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is made up of people who let God take control. But that's really hard. Because as you see above me, faithful, forgetfulness is the enemy of faith. If you don't remember anything else today, please remember that. That forgetfulness is the enemy of faith. The story, this chapter, which goes from Numbers to Deuteronomy, is a perfect snapshot, not just of Israel, but of how forgetful we all are. Now, now I think, and I'm sure that some of you guys have thought this before too, if you saw a pillar of fire every night, and, and how many Israelites are there at this point? You may remember? Three million. That's like three Albuquerques. If we saw a pillar of fire that could light up three Albuquerques, I have to think I wouldn't really have troubles trusting God. If I had seen a smoke cloud that was the embodiment of God on earth, and I saw that every day for a year, I have to think I wouldn't struggle in my faith. But this story isn't about just the Israelites. It's about all humanity. The Israelites saw more of God than any of us, but they also doubted God more than anyone in history. My favorite story is when they... Um, that the children of the people who escaped Israel, so children are, that escaped Egypt, the children that had grown up in the desert, all they know is living in a desert, but they've been living in a desert. They've been surviving. After years, they've been about 38 years in the desert so far, then they start to say, we're going to run out of water. <laughs> I never got this before, but they grew up in the desert every day. And after 38 years, they're like, oh, God's going to make us die of thirst. We're not going to get water anymore. And that's what they start complaining about. They have seen God's presence more than anyone else in history. And then they think, oh, God's just going to take away all of our water. It is so easy for us here, thousands of years later, to, to read this Bible and to go, man, those guys were stupid. Has any, have anybody, have you guys ever felt that way before? Okay, I, Riley and I are the, thank you. See, youth group, you got my back, thank you. All right, youth group. All right, so I used to think that these guys were just so stupid. But then I asked myself, how many times have I forgot about the great things God has done? You see, God has done great things for all of us. 
if you haven't, just look at the mountains. God created those. Those are great. But whenever something great happens in our life, we, we revel in it for a week. Then we forget. Then forgetfulness leads to doubt. And when we doubt that God is actually going to help us, that's when we do what the Israelites did. We try to take control. If there's anything to take away from this story, it's that it is human to doubt God. If anyone has ever told you that they don't doubt, that they don't struggle, that they don't have certain things that really mess with them in the Bible, either they're lying to you or they're so new in their faith that they haven't been at that point yet. As, as a minister, I will confess that there are things in the Bible that really frustrate me. There are seasons of all people's lives that we have doubt, that we really struggle in our faith, because it is human to doubt. But the kingdom of God is made up of people who have those doubts, but choose to have faith. So if doubting is human, faith is divine. Moses knew that this was true, that forgetfulness is the enemy of faith. And that's why in Deuteronomy, he closes his time right before he dies with this huge, huge speech. And the theme of it is, hey guys, remember what the Lord has done. And he has to say remember because he knows they're going to forget. Look at what he says here. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, his commands always. Remember today, and I added this. Is there an underline there? No. Okay, this, this should be underlined. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, his right hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the miracles or performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place, but it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. Moses knew they were going to forget. And so he says, remember, these people haven't seen the great things God did for you. But you have. And don't forget it. Moses later goes on to say, teach these to your children, bind them on your forehead, put them on your doors. Because he knows humans, we are forgetful. And when we forget, that is what battles our faith. It is so important for us to share these stories. If you've experienced something that God has done that's great, don't keep it in here, because you're going to forget it. You need to be telling it to the people you're sitting next to. You need to be telling it to Jason, so Jason can tell it to the church. You need to tell it, tell it to the people that don't believe yet. If God has done something great, tell people. When I'm asked to share about something that God has done that's really great, I always talk about um, 2010, 2011, when I got laid off three times in six months. It was terrible. Uh, one of my jobs was a ministry job, and the preacher left the church and said our church no longer exists, and I was unemployed. And um, it was a terrible time. And at the, at the third time when I lost my job, I, I, I was just clueless as to what I was going to do. 
And um, I was angry with God for letting my church die. I, I was angry with God for a lot of things. But I, I got this random job offer in, in Asia. And I, and I said, no, I'm not going to take it. And then I realized I have nothing else that I can do. And so I said, God, you know what? Fine. Two years of my life in Asia, I'll give it up to you because I don't know what else to do. God, you can take control. And in my first day in Asia, I met my wife. And now she's embarrassed. Oh, shoot. I was supposed to tell you when I was going to talk about, I'm sorry. I'm in trouble. It was a good thing, though, right? It's a good thing for me. Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, has anything as great as this ever happened? That the creator wants a people as his own. Has anything so great as this ever happened? That God wants us? And of course, the answer is no. And we have seen great things. But, but we here, we haven't seen a pillar of fire. But some of us have been healed. We haven't seen bread fall down from heaven. But some of us, even from the people in this room, we've received blessings seemingly coming out of nowhere right when we need it. None of us here have had, have, we, we've never been um, emancipated from slavery. But I know some of us here have been, we've escaped the claws of addiction. God has helped us in that. But the thing is, we're going to forget we're going to forget those things. The things that blow our minds about God one day, a year later, we're not even going to remember them. Moses knew that. Moses knew if you forget, you are going to doubt, and then you're going to t try to take control. So what I want to do today is I want to share something great that God has done. And I hope that you guys can do that too. Um, I hope it's with people here. I hope it's with people who aren't here. Um, on Wednesday... Last Wednesday, we had a barbecue plan with our neighbors next door. And um, we didn't find out until just a couple days before um, what time and when for sure we were going to be able to have this barbecue. And um, so on Sunday, I was told by Lila, Lila says, hey, um, hey, we're going to be able to do the barbecue at 5.30. Well, I hadn't made the posters yet because we didn't know if this was for sure, but I was too busy Sunday to hang the posters. Monday is my day off, and I have been really convicted that I need to let my day off be my day off. As a minister, it is really easy to fill up seven days of, no, 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 nine days of work every single week. And so I've been really convicted. I want to give God my five days a week because he can do more with those five days than I can do with seven. So I said on Monday, I'm not going to go hang those posters. So I went on Tuesday Jamie's like, oh, that's why you waited so long to hang those posters. <laughs> on Tuesday, I walk in, and Jamie ha has these posters, and she, and she says, hey, you know, these, this is for tomorrow, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So me, Riley, Lila, and Sage, we go over, and we hang these posters on Tuesday for a barbecue that's on Wednesday. And I am so nervous that nobody's going to show up because one of the things that, that brought me to this church was our decision to say we are in this neighborhood for a reason, and we're going to bless this neighborhood. So if we're going to bless this neighborhood, the first thing we got to do is go meet people, go make some friends, go learn some names. And so I'm hanging these posters on Tuesday going, am I screwing all of this up? Am I just not working hard enough? 
So when Riley and I left, we walked over, and I said, Riley, let's stop here. Let, let, let's, let's interrupt our conversation about zombies. <laughs> True story. And let's pray for these posters. Because I was just so nervous, no one was going to come. So I say, God, I don't know what you can do, but I pray your power on these really ugly, poorly designed posters. Because you can do more with these posters in one day than Riley and I can do in a week. So I pray that you will bring people to our barbecue for no other reason than for us to learn their names so that we can help people, so that we can meet people, so that we can love people. And the barbecue was amazing. We ran out of food. As you can see back here, um, there's Cole playing some games with kids. We've, we made a trunk or treat car. There's um, Jessica making a game, so the, it looks like a monster, and the girl's standing on his tongue. And there is a very terrible picture of Riley. Dude, I'm sorry. That's, that's just, yeah, that, that's not nice at all. And J Jason looks good. Jason, you look nice. But as you can see there, the line is so long, I couldn't actually take a picture of how many people were there for the food. Um, we bought like, Kathy, where's Kathy? What, how much food did we buy? Yeah, 200 pieces of meat, and we ran out. Now, so, so, some people took like five burgers. It's okay. They were good burgers. But still, we had 200 pieces of meat, and we ran out with one day of promotion, but more importantly, one day of prayer. That is something great that God did. But I don't want to tell you guys anymore. What I want to do instead is ask two of the guys who are really um, doing awesome stuff there. I want to invite them up on stage, and I'm going to let them share a little bit about something great that God did right behind me. So I'm going to ask Cole and Ray to come on up. So why don't you guys tell me what you did? So God is great, right? Um, he really used the youth group to make good use of us Wednesday night, and um, I think it was great how he led us, and he led us, he let us uh, let the apartments know, like the people at the apartments, that we're always here. We're always open for them to come and come to church, and we are, we showed them love. Which obviously, like personally, I only talked to a few people, but just watching everybody, you know, they needed to see love, and I was glad that we were able to show them that. And yeah, Cole. Um, Cole, Cole, what specifically did you do? What, what are you doing that in that photo? Um, I'm playing a game with two balls and a string, and you throw them onto a rope and see how many points you can get, because it's fun for little kids. No, um, so what I was doing there, uh, they, I had about like three or four kids who would not stop coming back, and it got really annoying after a while. But they were like, and they were like this tall, and like you're supposed to throw it from like from here to the thing, and then they were right here, missing it, and so. <laughs> So it was it was entertaining, but it was just so fun to see when they got one. Like even if the like even if they got one and it was like barely and it was ridiculously lucky or something like that, they were like jumping up and down, and it was just amazing to see all the joy on their faces. And then um, you just have those kids who come back and they just make your day a lot better. And I don't know, like there's this one kid, James, who was literally the best at that game I've ever seen in my life. Like he was 20 feet away and still got it. Like and he called out the bar too. It was, it was crazy, but, like, when you see those kids who are having so much fun for playing a dumb game that's, like, <laughs> two bucks and made from China, 
like it's just it's amazing to see their faces and how like it impacts you. And we already saw an impact. Um, Isaiah. Yeah. So um, is Isaiah here? No. Okay. He left. Cool. He, Go ahead. He came here earlier. Um, he's this kid. And he was on a skateboard and stuff like that. And he lives right over there. And so me and Ray were talking to him at the game. And he's like 17, 19. He's older. He's not a little child. But so, and like, we already seen people come over like we know. And it's just cool to see how quickly you can affect someone's life. And how much that little conversation can change theirs. Especially when you see them and they're excited about showing up and saying hi to you at church. So God is doing great things here. God is doing great things through the youth group. But that's just, that's just one story. God has done and is doing great things in all of our lives. And if we don't share those things, we're going to forget. And forgetfulness is the greatest enemy of faith. So today, what I just want you to think about, we're going to have prayer time in a minute, is just what is that great time? I am always prepared to share my story. As Christians, we should always have that story in our hearts that we can drop in just a second's notice. Because that's going to strengthen our faith. It's going to strengthen the faith of all of our brothers and sisters here. And it's going to strengthen the faith or grow the faith of people who aren't Christians yet. So I want to challenge you guys to think about that. What is something great that God's done in your life? Please pray with me. God, some of us here, we, we, we've had something great happen in our life this week. And some of us, we're going to start praying for things to happen in our lives that are great because we need you. Because right now, some of us, we, we, we see your presence and some of us, we're wandering in the desert, wondering what you are going to do. Because we might have had those great things, but we've forgotten. God, I pray that you would remind us again of those great things. That you would do more great things in our life. That you would show your provision, show your control, and allow us to have faith, that you would give us that faith. God, I thank you for being the God that looks out for us. I thank you that we can see our small story, our lower story here, but we can also get a glimpse of what you are doing, that you are creating a people who trust you. We thank you for inviting us to be that people. And I pray for all of us here that we'll have the faith to take that step and say, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I will let you take control. I pray that for all of us, that you will help us to get, let you take control. I pray this in your name. Amen.